The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's exactly eight minutes past eight. You're listening to AM Live here on SAFM. And as usual at this time, we look at uh, a forum on a particular issue. And uh, today, we're looking at the phenomenon of conflict of interest. Now, while some say it's a situation that has the potential to undermine the impartiality of a person because of the possibility of a clash between the person's self-interest and professional interest or public interest, Others say it has to uh, be managed very carefully as a strategy to fight corruption if the public service has to function optimally. The question we ask today, do we have a shared understanding of what constitutes conflict of interest? Uh, Joining us now to discuss this is Professor Shadrach Guto. He is constitutional law expert. A very good morning to you, Professor Guto. Good morning to you and good morning to the listeners. David Lewis is the Executive Director of Corruption Watch. A very good morning to you, Mr. Lewis. Hi, hi, good morning. Independent political analyst Ralph Matecha is here in the studio with us. He'll be joining us in just a moment and uh, later on we'll be speaking to Clayton uh, Sawapolis, who's the Director of Forensic Advisory and Solutions at Deloitte. You can also join in on the conversation. Uh, you can SMS us on 34701, 34701, that's at 2 rand per SMS. We are available on Twitter at AIMLive on SAFM. Let's first start with you, Professor Guto. Just in terms of the terminology, there's a legal aspect of it, but there's the term conflict of interest. It's not a very old term. I understand that the first time there was something like that that occurred as a standard was in 1949. But uh, it's only in latter-day literature that it was referred to. But even then, there are different interpretations or, um, should I say, um, I'm trying to find the right word for it, but uh, people don't even call it conflict of interest. There are certain professional ethics and standards which are assumed to mean conflict of interest, but don't really mean that term. Well, um, I think... um it is quite wide that there are many different interpretations of the concept, and the reason for that is that it uh, covers a whole range of uh, situations and relations. Um, it is not just one which is confined to questions of corruption only. Uh, it is important that um, corruption... Uh, uh, brings into the picture very graphically what a conflict of interest is, but it goes beyond corruption. Uh, if you take a situation where, for example, to make it very simple to the listener to say, uh, if you are um, a referee in a game that you are uh, playing, Participating, you are both a referee and a player uh, in a in a game. Um, obviously, you are going to favour your team, uh, and uh, from that point of view, even if you don't receive a single cent, you are disadvantaging the others, and therefore you are creating a situation where there is no equality of arms or level playing ground, and um, uh, and from that point of view, you are damaging the game because the game will not be able to be played uh, competitively 
and the best team to win. It is that your team that you will try as much as possible to to make um, uh, to to become a winner. So that very simple explanation does indicate that you will be having a conflict of interest. You have an interest on your team to win, but you have also have a position as a referee in that particular game mm. and performing your professional responsibility, which is also an interest, collides with the other. So I think it's very, very important to be able to see that it takes many, many forms and it applies um, uh, to many, many areas and not only in situations of corruption, but uh, Let me well, bring in Mr. Lewis then on, uh, on this, yeah. Prof, and uh, we'll get back to the other issue that you were about to raise. You'll let me know what it is. But I want to go straight to that. The fact that, uh, for instance, in the public service, people are entrusted with public funds and therefore by implication public trust. So it's important to have one standard of the understanding of either professional ethics integrity or conduct. Why is it that it seems fluid according to the understanding of conflict of interest? I mean, just looking at yesterday's paper, there was a question about the NEF. Um, it is now said the CEO has given a 9.8 million rand loan to a company belonging to her brother, but when explained, it is said that it's because a sibling does not really constitute a, a family member as per the understanding, or at least their code of conduct on who should be excluded from benefiting from monies from the NEF. Yeah, well, if, if, that, if their code of conduct allows that to happen, then their code of conduct is, is significantly out of sync with most understandings of what a conflict of interest would be. And certainly uh, where you're in a position to influence a decision that enables your brother to uh, receive a, a, a loan from, from a public institution of 10 million rand, then I think on most definitions that I know of, public, of, of, a, of a conflict of interest, that would be a, a conflict. But is, is, is that not part of the problem? Because they talk about close family member and what one interpretation can be um, brother or sister, a sibling, and another could be, no, we're talking about immediate family members in terms of either your mother or your father or your child. Yeah. You know, we, could have a, we could have a quibble, I, I, I guess, mm. about what a close family member means, but I, I've, I've yet to hear a, a definition or a colloquial version of what a close family member means that excludes one's, one's brother. Um, you know, usually it's close family member or even close, or even business associate is defined as a, as a, as a, as a conflict. And the fact is that, uh, the, the, that in the instance that you speak of, and I just take what I get from the newspaper mm. report, obviously, in the, in the, in the issue you, you spoke of, the, um, the the person concerned in the in the NEF uh, removed herself at the time of the decision making, which seemed to me to be a clear clear evidence that she believed that she had a conflict. You know why do that if you don't have a why do that if you don't have a, a, a conflict of interest? Mm. And that's the thing about conflicts of interest. I think that very often very often it is the case, not always, but if you have to ask if you 
do I have a conflict of interest? Then in, I think, eight cases out of ten, it's because you do have a conflict of interest. And so, yes, it's sometimes a little bit difficult to pin down, but, um, you know, maybe it's a little bit like, uh, like pornography. You'll sort of recognize it when you see it, you know, even though the definition may be a difficult one to, um, to, to arrive at. Uh, and it's the same goes for conflict of interest. And the conflict of interest that, that I think South Africa is, is exercised with is, you know, precisely when a public official, uh, has an interest, has a private interest that may influence a decision he, he makes about a contract or an allocation of resources. Mm-hmm. Although I agree with Professor Guto, it might, might be broader than that. I mean. And, and then to come back to you, Professor Guto, then how do, how is the law written or different policies? As I mentioned earlier on, uh, different professions have uh, different uh, codes that they have to satisfy, but surely there must be conditions generally across the board or even international best practice that have to be satisfied if we're talking about conflict of interest. I'm looking at a CCMA case. Uh, it was uh, Stain versus Crowd, uh, an employee that was dismissed because he was planning to set up a spice business in competition with the employer. But the CCMA dismissed the case on the basis that conflict of interest in this case did not arise because the employee was only planning and therefore the dismissal was unfair. Yeah, I think you are right when you look at any specific case like the one that uh, you cite a court decision of that nature, and it depends on the facts. Um, if indeed he had started that other company, then it would have been a question of real conflict. So it was somebody who was planning uh, to um, do something but had not yet done it. But uh, I think you, you you touch on something very important, um, professional ethics. Uh, professional ethics uh, within any profession, whether you are uh, a lawyer, for example, a medical doctor, an engineer, an accountant, and so on, all these professions do have some... Um, codes of conduct that members uh, are required to adhere to. If they don't or they go out of those, then they may actually uh, be uh, removed from the profession altogether, be struck off. And um, that is quite clear. You also have uh, in the among judges and so on, we have principles such as the Bangalore principles and so on, which uh, do indicate things which judges should do or anybody who is sitting in a judicial position. It could be a magistrate or whatever, but they need to be able to have certain ethical ways of behavior and uh, they cannot, for example, sit in deciding a case where they know that uh, they have an interest uh, on one of the parties or, for example, they, they are related to someone and the, the person is brought to court before them, they ought to recuse themselves from having to decide the matter mm. uh, and have someone else uh, do it. So we do have that. In South Africa, 
it is not only a question of um, uh, professions, but you also have, like, executive members. I'll give an example of the Executive Members Ethics Act of, I think, 1998, which governs um, the conduct of members of the cabinet, but also members within the provincial executive arm. And it is fairly indicated there that, first of all, when you are in that position, first of all, you should not get employed and be paid by someone else on any other activity. I think I'd uh, like to get in yeah. on that because, uh, David yeah. Lewison, I'll introduce Ralph Matacha in just a moment. A lot of the time when we talk about public servants, we're, we're looking especially at the aspect of financial disclosure. We've seen that recently with the complaint against the IC chairperson. But if we're talking about integrity, I, I mean, one man's interpretation is another man's uh, interpretation. They may not necessarily account to the same thing. And I, there was another CCMA case. I was just because it was just fascinating, just in terms of that interpretation. Uh, 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 an employee who was fired because he was selling computers to colleagues, but the dismissal was found to be unfair because the computer case. Or, or at least what he was selling was completely different to what uh, the employer sold and the employer being SA Breweries in this case. So I- integrity and, and when you are breaching it, is that also part of the problem? Societally, we have different standards. Maybe a regulation in the company concerned that says that you can't do outside work Outside remunerative work, as they, as they, as will soon be the case in the in the public sector as well. Um, but I, I think yes, you know there are there are d- definitely grey areas. But um, but I think that the core of what a conflict of interest is 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 known, and I think that the the standard by which to judge it is is high. I mean, in, in, the, in the case of a judicial officer, which, which Professor Guto mentioned, the point is not even whether there is a conflict of interest or not. The point is whether there is an appearance of a conflict of interest. A judge would recuse himself from a hearing, not because he was conflicted, but because it may appear that he was conflicted in, 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 in making his decision. And that really is the standard, particularly for senior public servants mm. who are making important decisions with important uh, uh, commercial commercial consequences and, and, and important resource consequences, okay. even the appearance of a conflict should be good enough for them to say, I'm out of here, I'm not making this, I'm not being involved in this decision at all. 23 minutes past eight, we're taking your calls on 0891 this is the space station that connects all the media that cover the stories on African business, that happen in meetings attended by people that travel on planes and also on trains, that connect business centers, that handle the trades by means of computers, that are run by the people that talk on the phones, that are linked by the satellite we funded. At Nedbank Capital, we believe in making sustainable solutions happen. We are an authorized financial services and credit provider. Terms and conditions apply. Make things happen. Nedbank Capital. The Eastern Cape is well known for producing legends. Some are well known and others are less known. 
Now the provincial government is giving you a chance to nominate a legend. Tell us who to include in our Hall of Honor and why. Vote in September at flooded post offices or police stations or SMS the word legend followed by the name of the person you're nominating to 34524. You can also visit our Facebook page or visit www.ecprof.gov.za. Have your say. Nominations close 30 September. Eastern Cape, the home of legends. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 34 minutes past 8. We continue with our conversation on conflict of interest. 0891 You can give us a call. Share your thoughts with us. Do we have a common understanding of what constitutes conflict of interest? Ralph Matecha is an independent political analyst. He joins us now in the studio. Very good morning to you, Mr. Matecha. Just to pick up on the conversation, what uh, uh, David Lewis is saying that you know, the standard really should be what appears to be a conflict of interest should be used as a good enough gauge as to whether or not somebody uh, is in uh, is is being conflictual in in what they're doing. But I, I'm asking the question still: Is are we still not leaving that up to interpretation? Because my, my standards may be quite different to yours. Well, I think that. Uh, uh it can be narrowed down uh, as to how you can really determine if someone is in a position of conflict of interest to an extent where you could say it could uh, negatively impact upon the integrity of processes upon which they preside. And uh, the most important way to look at it basically is to say that uh, uh, the person who presides upon a particular process or is part of the processes, are they in a position where they could... uh, exercise their responsibility in a fair, open manner, in a way that uh, leads to a certain level of ethics. And again, when we talk about ethics, it's usually difficult to come up with a, a clearly articulated line as to what amount to Precisely ethics. my point, if we're talking about uh, bias, prejudice, uh, that we're leaving up to the discretion of the individual, are we not? Certainly, it, it leaves it to the to the discretion of an individual. But once you enter into a relationship, it could be in a place of work. There are certain expectations that could be very that could be articulated very clearly. Suppose, for example, you are supposed to preside over a tender, which is the issue that usually uh, just you know uh, preoccupied us. As we try to understand the conflict of interest. What happens is that if you have conflict of interest and you are not declaring your conflict of interest, actually you are undermining the integrity of the processes. And to establish that you are actually undermining the integrity of the processes, we don't have to show clearly a proximate link between or maybe an immediate link between the interest that you are conflicted and the exact, con- the ex- the exact conduct mm-hmm. within that processes. The presumption that will emerge if you have conflict of interest is that you, you, you are not acting fairly or you might not act fairly. It doesn't have to be pr- uh, 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 proved in more proximate way that we do in other maybe criminal liability where we say your conduct directly led to that. But in, when it comes to conflict of interest, you, you have to act in a way that it does not leave the presumption of impropriety, even if that presumption cannot be proved in exact mm-hmm. terms. Okay. But it doesn't have to live up to that. This is the reason why uh, ethics are much more, they appear much 
more fluid and they're usually difficult to uphold through regulations because I believe that ethics involves culture as well. It's not just uh, people will always find mm. a, a leeway through interpretation, but if the culture is such that any appearance of conflict of interest raises a, 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 a question of uh, integrity within our institutions. People should recuse themselves before any kind of proof can be made. I'd like to follow up on the issue of culture because some behavior is so entrenched that uh, people uh, don't see anything wrong with the culture which exists, even though it may point to a conflict of interest. I mean, we've seen recently the, be, um, the censure of the, the former communications minister and... Uh, questions arising out of that. But let me take callers uh, to ask them to be brief, Eddie and Iyanus. Uh, let's start with Eddie in Cape Town. A very good morning to you, Eddie. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. Um, look, um, conflict of interest, as um, your panel has just said there, I mean, I'm an accountant, for example, and if I have to audit a, company, a certain company and I have got a relationship, say, with the CEO of that company, um, I need to recuse myself and get some other partner from the firm to go audit there and, and, and bring out a, a credible report. It's not necessarily the fact that my report will be flawed or anything, but it's just a case of, look, the CEO of that company is my cousin. What are the chances that I can protect the shareholders if I pick up anything that is wrong and prejudice my cousin's job and expose him to be seen to be not doing okay, his job. But, but, but finally, let me just make one final point. Uh, Very quickly, Eddie. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, the, the, the arrogance of politicians and conflict of interest should be separated from this discussion. For example, um, our own president has got uh, an outsourced uh, community development project that goes to his cousin without going to a tender. And when he comes around and he asks, um, he doesn't see a conflict of interest. So it's coming up from there, going down, even to Dina Pule, where she says she's got a boyfriend who gets a tender, and she says she doesn't see a conflict of interest. I mean, that's, that's downright... Uh, you're not fit for that office if you can't see that conflict of interest, because then you are just being corrupt straightforward, you know? Can you think Cape Town? Hi, thank you for taking my call. Interpretation of uh, our, our constitution... I think it could also create a conflict of interest because in our constitution we're supposed to be equal. Uh, Nelson Mandela mentioned never, never again the one race will dominate the other race. What we can, what we've got in our country, we've got a situation where actually it's opposite. You know, I know the rectification of the past should be done, but not the way which which is done. We cannot force people. We cannot force them to lose the job because to rectify the the, the mistakes of the past. Uh, so I think it's, if it's gonna continue, we're gonna continue this way, we're gonna have more conflict. It's not only about the whites. We've got in Western province situation where the colored people um, cannot get the job because of the race, because the, the more blacks are promoted than the other, than, than colors and, and others. So Thank the constitution says something about uh, that the truth is the difference. So, uh, okay, Janice Line seems to be cutting there, but, uh, I'll take uh, more callers, more SMSs. Uh, it's a little after 8.30. In fact, it's 29 minutes to 9. Let's update your news headlines now with Fabachni Chetty. 
35 minutes to 9. We continue with our discussion on the forum. The question we're asking is, do we have a shared understanding of what constitutes conflict of interests? We're in conversation with David Lewis. He's an executive director of Corruption Watch. Professor Shadrick Guto is a constitutional law expert. Ralph Matacha is an independent political analyst. We'll continue with that discussion in just a moment. But uh, let's uh, see what's taking place on Morning Talk this morning. Rowena Bird on the line. Hi, Rowena. Hi, Tepisa. Thank you very much. Coming up on Morning Talk today, in the first hour, we remember Steve Bandubigo and uh, what he stood for. This is 36 years after his death. Then we'll talk about what uh, emerged out of Cabinet's meeting last week, a whole lot of issues there. And uh, today on Psychological Matters, we get tips for newlyweds. And, of course, the regulars remain Sabiso News, Economics, and a whole lot more. That's the show. Thanks, Rowena. So you can take part in our conversation. The question we are asking is, do we have a shared understanding of what constitutes conflict of interest? We are taking your SMSs on 34701, two rand per SMS. On Twitter, our Twitter handle at AMLive on SAFM and on uh, SMS. 34701, 34701, two rand per SMS, as I mentioned earlier on. You can email us on aimlive at sabc.co.za. Let me read some SMSs. So what's closer in your family than sibling and parents? Maureen in Bloemfontein wants to ask. Spio in KZN says, if we had an ethical and honest government, we wouldn't even be trying to define the term itself. Next, we'll discuss the term corruption, then bribery. Well, why not, Spio? And uh, Lindo Mlaba in Hammerstahl says, the IC is run by people who are members of ANC. Can we trust the election result from them. Uh, Brian Kumar says it surprises me that people who are well education don't know conflict of interest within high government officials. And uh, this one says Sunday Times reported that KZN MEC Nomusa Dube Masajayo's boyfriend benefited Amuse Parity, which is now bankrupt, and she's expected to investigate it. Well, what are your thoughts? Professor Guter, let's come back to you. Um, Eddie's suggesting that maybe we should. Uh, we were talking earlier on about the different codes that uh, various professions have, that there should be perhaps a separate set of rules for public servants when it comes to conflict of interest. And just coming, I see that, that there's a level of agitation from some of the listeners here saying, why, why must we have this discussion when it's so obvious? And, and we've just been through really the different interpretations. But I think what's more important for you to understand is the training, the framework that is put in place when we are uh, defining and discussing conflict of interest. When you work into a workplace, uh, surely before somebody can accuse me of violence, violating those laws, somebody has to teach me what they are. Yes, uh, it's very, very important, and that is why we do have uh, legislation, I've just mentioned one, that apply to the executive arms of government at the provincial and national level. So it is not only those who are in public service, but also those who are in political offices within government. Um, And uh, in so many areas, you do have that. And the reason for it is that uh, we know human beings and we know our weaknesses. And uh, it is out of that that you need certain standards and norms that can help us not uh, really do things that are going to cause uh, either uh, damage to disadvantage others, to to uh, uh, and so on. So it is ways of controlling 
um, normal human behavior. So we shouldn't see it only as those who are uh, corrupt. Of course, people are corrupt. And the fact that you have a code of conduct does not mean that everyone is going to um, abide by it. We, we do have so many rules. Uh, we know that, you know, stealing is a crime. But people steal, and some think they will get away with it. Many do get away with it, um, uh, and, and so on. But when you are caught, you don't say because it, it, others get away with it, therefore you shouldn't be uh, punished, and so on. But does it so go back to the issue that Ralph Matecha was raising earlier on about culture, and, and, and I was saying that perhaps we also, uh, you know, Inhibit a world, inhabit a world where people are just have just absorbed certain cultures, and it's become the norm rather than the exception. Yes, I, I think that it is important because there are in societies where if corruption, bribery, and so on are so common, and nothing is done about it, then it becomes the norm governing that society, and people will know that that particular society. Corruption is a way of life, and for that society, there will be nothing wrong with corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and but then um, that does not mean that um, it is something which is, uh, you know, good. Uh, people ought to begin to say, is corruption really something good? Okay. Uh, does it not do damage, uh, uh, suspicion, damage, lack of trust? and so on, and I think that that is very important. So you are right that when you get to uh, be employed, for example, by, you know, SABC and, and so on, uh, as, a, as a journalist, uh, there are certain ethics of, of, of in journalism. There are ethics, and uh, the editor's forum, there's a council that deal with uh, when you go, beyond what you are expected to have done, that causes certain damage. Yes, it restrains people to do wrong. Uh, it does not mean that, you know, everyone will obey them. So okay. we should have that in mind. That David, yes, this has, yeah. David Lewis, this, this comes then to a very important point in the discussion, is what measures are in place? Are there appropriate record uh, keeping systems, uh, auditing, uh, training as a, and awareness, as I mentioned earlier, on compliance monitors? Well, there, there, there aren't, and I think that there are efforts being made to to rectify that. In one of the, the Sunday newspapers yesterday, there was a, a mention of, of the Public Service Administration Department getting together an electronic register of, of conflicts of interest declarations, which have to be filed by by public servants, for example. I agree it's, 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 uh, conflict also applies to elected representatives as well, but the Department of Interested in Public Servants. And the new, the new bill which, uh, um, which the Department of Public Service and Administration have published is a real attempt to get to grips with some uh, big gaps in our conflict of interest uh, legislation, like, for example, uh, limiting the kind of revolving door between the pu- public sector and the private sector. You know, one can be in a conflict in the public sector if you are regulating a company, for example, or a sector in which a company is just by taking in 
decisions in that company's favor because you are hoping to be offered a job as soon as you leave the public sector. So there are all sorts of preventative measures that can be put in place and administrative measures like, for example, the electronic register that Minister Sisulu is, is quoted as speaking about in the, in the newspaper yesterday. Uh, that could be tightened up and that, mm. uh, that will be tightened up. But I just have to say that sometimes a declaration is just is not good enough. You know, if you're a very powerful person and your subordinates are taking a decision which would, which would uh, um, improve your own financial position, often to declare your interest is just to tell them which way to vote, you know. So sometimes you can't, sometimes conflicts can't be managed. And I think at the senior levels of the public service should not have private interests. That's the, 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 the bottom line on the thing, because if they do, they are going to find either that they are acting in conflict of that interest, or that some of their subordinates are acting in conflict of that interest, or the public will perceive that there is a conflict of interest, and that is almost as bad. Well, which is what I wanted to say, Mr. Matakha. There's also managing potential for conflict, but there are others who say maybe there should be uh, an audit of personnel account transactions uh, that are, are done yearly. Does that not, though, encroach on on one's you know, rise to privacy. I don't think we need to go that far as to auditing what people have and uh, people know what, what they have and then I think that uh, it is up to them to declare and knowing exactly the issues that they are presiding upon. And, I, and I, I, there is one thing that I think is of concern in, in South Africa about how we view the issue of conflict of interest. We, we see it as a misdemeanor. We see it as something that is not really serious. And this is because we are so overwhelmed by report of instances where people engage in actual theft. And we, we have actually lowered the bar by saying that, okay, it's a situation of conflict of interest. It does not really amount to impropriety as such. And therefore, we need to give people that space. We need to regulate it softly. And we need not uh, take it seriously. We've got more serious instances that shows impropriety. I think conflict of interest is actually even more serious than even people who are directly misappropriating money because it undermines the legitimacy of institutions. And I've had instances where some people will say that I forgot I own shares in that company when I was presiding over, that, over a particular process. It is up to people, if people want to have private interests, it is up to them to bear in mind all the time, if they want to be businessmen and businesswomen, to bear in mind what they own where, and the obligation and the honours is up to them. Should there not be clear-cut-dry rules, for instance, to say if you're a civil servant, you are just not allowed to have any business whatsoever, as has been suggested now by the Minister, with, the, with, with any state entity? I don't think that amounts to regulation. That just amounts to sanction. And I think we can be... There is nothing wrong with owning, having... having private interest. There are people in other advanced democracies who have private interest and they will come into the public space and declare exactly what they mm. own. What matters is uh, how do we go about that kind of declaration and also what is our expectations as citizens uh, on the side of individuals. And if we say to people that they should not own private business, some people bring experience that they've accumulated through owning private business. They bring, they bring it into government. We should appreciate that. What matters here is the current 
culture that we are going to put forward that we need a culture where the mere perception of conflict of interest will amount to presumption that How one do we will inculcate that? We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in just a moment. Let's take callers now. 0891 We'll read your SMSs in just a moment. Do we have a common understanding of what constitutes conflict of interest? This is our question this morning. Frank Talk in Mangaung. You say issues emanate from uh, cultural practice. Yeah, good morning and good morning to your panel. L- mm-hmm. Look, uh, I, I just want to ask, how, how do you deal with it? And, and I really am a proponent of, of, of ethics and, and I've studied issues around conflict of interest, but let me be a devil's advocate. In, in a society where you had cultural dominance, Eurocentric cultural dominance over African cultural dominance, how do you then deal with issues of ethics? and conflict of interest. I'll set you an example. Um, here's an offerer and an offeree. Take a, a Sbundebele case in Guazulu Natal. People bona fide hmm, don't see anything wrong. They buy him a car. Now, these, these are the members of the society. They see nothing wrong. They buy him a car. When does it constitute conflict of interest if the very same members of the society did not see anything wrong with it? Now, now, you know, I, I hear your debate. It talks about conflict of interest and we're pushing it towards corruption. But, but this is what we deal with on a daily basis. This is when a Saxon world primary is full and you know a principal and you are being done a favor. And how do we deal with prejudices and biasness? Because at times you sit in an interview, um, you know, the fact that you know somebody uh, and true, you don't know that person, but you know that he might have studied in a particular university that you come from, you are likely to look at that candidate differently than you look at the other one. Now, now how do we deal with these things? Because these are the challenges of conflict okay. of interest. Thanks, uh, Frank Talk. Eddie, uh, I'm not sure. Is that the same Eddie we had earlier on? Okay, Eddie, you... This is Eddie of Fixburg. Oh, Eddie. Greetings to the nation. I want to say something very strongly about this. I understand totally, a thousand percent, what conflict of interest is. And conflict of interest is blatant selfishness. That's all. How much for me? Not how much can I give? How much for me? My sister... Sapiso, this country will be buried because everybody wants to live like Mugabe. We want what is ours and we want yours as well. We can't do this. You can't go around in this world just take, take. It's very nice and vernacular that says, Imper, Imper, Yalapisa. I tell you, my sister, we will not uh, save this country if we all just want to see how much I can take and not how much right. I can give. Thanks, Eddie. We'll, we'll read SMSs in just a moment. 891 That's the number that you can call. Um, but let's say good morning to Clayton uh, Thomopoulos. He's the Director of Forensic Advisory and Solutions at Deloitte. He joins us now on the line. A very good morning to you. Good morning. Just uh, your views on the subject. I know we're pretty much far gone, but uh, we're, we're looking at conflict of interest and if there is a common understanding. We've had quite a bit of ground, but perhaps just to get your sense around this issue. Well, essentially, when one looks at, at conflicts of interest and the scenarios that result in its manifestation, one needs to look at the primary objectives of an individual involved in any supply chain management process. And, and the primary objective there is to ensure that that supply chain management process is transparent, fair and equitable to all individuals that are involved within that particular bid or contract uh, application. 
Where a conflict uh, presents itself is essentially where there's a secondary interest, i.e. a relationship or financial business interest that may potentially cloud their judgment or put them in a position where they are not acting independently. And just in terms of the various professions, I mean, uh, the fact that you work at Deloitte, I'm sure you come across that. Why does, does it seem to be different standards or even codes that are set for the various professions? Why do we not have one sort of universal agreement of what constitutes conflict of interest? I think that's that essentially is the crux, the question that you've just posed. And there are differing views. If one looks... Uh, across various entities, both public and private sector related, the actual scope of their policies and implementation thereof differs in terms of what is and what isn't permissible from an employee perspective. Uh, I do think one of the primary reasons we sit in the predicament uh, with uh, increased conflicts of interest in the news and, and within various sectors of the economy is that there's a distinct lack of awareness in terms of what is permissible. So it's one thing having a policy in place. It's another thing implementing it. But the most important thing is making sure that everyone understands that policy and what to do in the event that they're not sure. And Prof, uh, Professor Guter, if I could get you to just uh, reply to this, just taking from what uh, Mr. Thermopolis is saying, he was talking about the, the parties involved and whether or not this would be a conflict. And I'm... I, I was reading an article by um, Professor Pierre de Force, and he was talking about the concept of the rule of law. And one of the, thi- one of the things he was saying, he mentioned a case in which the city of Cape Town fired a law firm for representing it in one case, but also representing a third party against the city. Yes, I, I think um, that would be conflictual if you have uh, one legal firm and that farm is representing one side uh, of people in a dispute. Um, uh, both sides of people in a, with a legal dispute, obviously it's going to be very, very difficult. But he raises so a very the interesting farm point. Should they say, no, we're already representing the other party. We cannot be able to, to represent you. That is something which would be required. It is just... Um, common sense, really, to say you cannot be there on both sides. You know, you argue here, then you argue against yourself. Prof, if you'll allow uh, me, he raised a very interesting point, that in this yes. case, the company was yes. representing an organ of the state, not necessarily, um, you know, a, a, a one singular party that is clearly uh, an issue of conflict of interest. Okay. Um, well, if, if, if it, there's no direct conflict, in, in other words, um, a public entity can be able to employ a private uh, legal firm to represent them, even within the other professions. If you look at medical doctors, there are some who are private practice, but at the same time, they work provided it is known that they are doing that. Otherwise, they would be spending more time in their private uh, sector if that is what gives them more money and they spend less time uh, in the public service where they earn also a salary. So we have to be able to look at uh, situations and analyze them and say, would an ordinary person really 
uh, see that as something which is conflictual, bringing a conflict of, of interest of the person. But one of the callers mentioned something important which we shouldn't really um, uh, just uh, ignore, the fact that there are certain cultural practices, mm. for example, of people giving a gift to someone um, it's very, very common uh, when you are dealing, for example, with some Asian cultures like the Japanese and so on, giving a present to somebody you are visiting or who is visiting you. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. The question is, do you declare it? Is it transparent and open that that is what is happening? Actually, I was um, coming to that, but, but uh, and I'd like David Lewis to then answer this because he also was saying that it's almost like we're pushing conflict of interest towards corruption. So declaring it doesn't make it okay. He spoke about the incident uh, in which Minister Swoondebele, now Minister, received a car, he declared it, but was told to take it back. Is that enough? Uh, the declaration is, uh, you know, I think in that instance it's, it's enough. I mean, sometimes, though, a declaration is not good enough to to remove the, the conflict or to manage the, the conflict. And the example that I gave of where you have a, a tender committee sitting composed of chief directors and deputy directors general and the, and the, uh, the director general says, I have a, an interest in the company that's bidding for the tender. I just want to tell you that and I'm not going to be involved in, the, in, the, in, in adjudicating the bid any further. That might not be good enough because all his subordinates will know that he has an interest and they may very well, out of their own interest, vote his interest. So a declaration is not always good enough. But I mean, I think the piece of the, that, that we're all making this issue a little bit more complicated than it, than it need be. You know, it's, it's very interesting to dwell on on the kind of marginal cases, and they undoubtedly are marginal cases in their grey areas. But, you know, the standard definition of a conflict of interest is a situation in which a public official has a, has a private in, interest which influences or appears to influence a public decision and therefore gives him the potential or the incentive to engage in wrongdoing. I mean, how much clearer could that, could that be? Okay. Um, and I think that, that, that if we could clear up those conflicts of interest, then the marginal ones would be, yes, they'd be important, they'd be interesting, but they wouldn't matter nearly as much. All right, let's uh, let's just quickly wrap up. uh, Coming back to you, Mr. Thurmbopoulos, do we look at it from the perspective of risk? Is that that the approach that we're taking uh, to then flag an incident and say, hang on a minute, I think we have a problem? Is that the problem? As Mr. Lewis is saying, we're complicating it. It's It's a very simple issue. Well, essentially, one, one has to deal with the issues that present themselves, but one of the critical learnings from that is to have a look at what went wrong and how do you prevent that from occurring in the future. So to take the lessons learned and move from a, a, a reactive approach to a more proactive one, and yes, conducting regular fraud risk assessments within the supply chain management environment, uh, ensuring that there are stringent vetting processes in place and robust policy implementation, very importantly as well as the awareness amongst uh, employees, and not only on senior management levels, also middle management levels, and those individuals that are actually involved in driving the supply chain management process forward. 
Okay, and just to your final word from you, Ralph Matecha, going forward, how do we ensure that we're not having these conversations, whether or not we have a different understanding of what should, according to some of you, be patently a very clear matter of, in fact, be as black and white as as there is no grey? I think a lot of uh, progress could be made in, in, in having a, this kind of conversation. It's not going to be resolved by any kind of legislation, I believe. This is a very fluid issue, and I think uh, what matters is the bar, where the society sets the bar in terms of integrity and the level of tolerance when it comes to such kind of uh, situations of Should conflict. Should there be more punitive uh, measures against people who are found guilty of conflict of interest? There should be punitive measures, but we should also be proactive in pronouncing exactly on one, what constitutes conflict of interest. Thank you very much to all of you. Uh, you. David Lewis, Executive Director of Com- Corruption Watch. Professor Shadrach Guto is a constitutional law expert. Ralph Matecha, an independent political analyst, as well as Clayton Thamapolitz, who is a Director of Forensic Advisory and Solutions at Deloitte. Thanks to the team, Tracy Boomgard, Misha Shandlale, Nzwaki Ku, Gwenzegile and Tlatia, technical producers, President Machaya, uh, executive uh, producers, Busichani uh, and Obrisejia, forum producers, Ronald Piri and Jake Mukoma. Thanks uh, to the team, thanks to you for all your SMSs, tweets, Facebook responses. I do apologize that I didn't get to all of them in time. Up next is Morning Talk with Rowena Bird, but first the news at 9 o'clock, read by Babakshini Chetty.